sleeper must awake. So, what are what are those sounds that I'm making? What are those sounds, those noises that come out of my mouth? <laughs> what are those very annoying sounds? <laughs> well, that, um, ladies and gentlemen, is uh, the sound of my mind getting broken. <laughs> Yep, that uh, that episode is uh, kind of like a, a festival of of sighs and squirms, and they're uh, they're all coming from me, and I'm uh, sorry about that. <laughs> well, actually, uh, today's guest, um, Eric Wargo, Doctor Eric Wargo, is kind of uh, uh, kind of to blame for those sounds a little. Um, because of his work, I mean, yeah. Um, precognition, uh, retro causation, already just those, th that's especially that second term, uh, that second word should uh, trigger some questions and a lot of you <laughs> guys. <laughs> um, Yeah, and we, we, we used the term, uh, the expression, mind-blowing, many times uh, during that, uh, this, that discussion. And believe me, it's not out of uh, laziness for choosing the right words. Um, it applies very well to the situation. Um, especially for me... Uh, well, I think uh, Eric also went through some <laughs> some mind blowing of his own, but um, yeah, as I'm saying in the interview, I'm I'm interested in uh, all the science, all the the data and the the experiments and all that stuff. But mostly, I'm I'm a really like hands on kind of guy, and uh, as soon as I started uh, reading. Um, Eric's second book, um, I about um, precognitive dream, dreaming. I knew that it, it wouldn't be enough, and I, I would need to to try it for myself to actually feel what he was referring to. And uh, I, I'm not gonna go into too too much detail here because I, I do in in the interview. Uh, but yeah, it's it's kind of my reality has been shaken, you know, especially since I'm really interested in uh, synchronicity and I have been studying them in my own life, you know, uh, for years now. Uh, but that possibility that a lot of them, I think Eric maybe believes that all of synchronicities could be uh, precognition I'm not sure if I, I would agree with that or um, at least some of them for me like it doesn't really make sense to uh, understand them through the lens of precog uh, precognitive 
functioning. But for a lot of them, it does make sense. And this is pretty crazy. I'm just looking at all of the ones that are, are all the quote-unquote synchronicities that are happening in my life, looking back on some that has happened, that have happened before, and I'm like re-examining them and it's, uh, yeah, um, listen, I, 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 I'm gonna leave it at that, uh, I'm gonna read the bio that I concocted <laughs> for Eric, I hope it's good. Uh, here we go. So, Eric Wargo is a Washington DC-based science writer with a PhD in anthropology from Emory University. His professional journey includes collaborating with various organizations and government institutes, engaging in research spanning archaeology, psychology, and neuroscience. Additionally, Eric works as a science writer and editor. He is recognized for his acclaimed book, Time Loops, as well as for his most recent published effort, Precognitive Dreamwork and the Long Self. Dr. Wargo also writes about science fiction, consciousness, and parapsychology on his well-received blog, The Nightshirt. Alright, so... Yeah, let's move on to the interview. Um, as usual, like the video if you're on YouTube. Um, uh, leave comments uh, on whatever platform actually you're on. Uh, it always helps. And subscribe. Yeah, if you, uh, I'm on Patreon. Um, it's not yet very popular. That's okay. I everybody has them, but. If you if you want to help the show without spending one cent, <laughs> uh, just subscribe on whatever, uh, yeah, on YouTube, Apple Podcasts, whatever platform you, you're using. It really helps, um, yeah, putting the show forward. So yeah, without further lollygagging, let's step into the mind blowing world of precognition with Eric Wargo. Enjoy! <laughs> Great, so the the portal has opened. <laughs> Hello, Eric Wargo. Hello, Dominic. It's so great to uh, have you here today. We spoke a bit before starting recording. Uh, as I told you, I've been following your work for um, uh, many years now. Uh, first time really, really digging into it. And um, uh, yeah, especially experimentally. I mean, I'm a, like I'm a DIY guy. I like to try things. I learn more that way, you know. Uh, and... Um, <laughs> I can't say that I regret. I, for sure, I don't. But my mind's blown right now. So thanks not only for being here, but for your very enlightening work. Sure. Well, I'm happy to <laughs> happy to blow minds <laughs> when I can. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So, well, 
Of course, there's a lot of there's a lot about you uh, out there, um, but maybe start with because uh, most people are going to come to hear you because they don't know me. So, but still, maybe uh, present your work a bit as hard as it can be. I know maybe maybe you just used to talk about it and it's easy. So, um, yeah. Well, let's see. I I so I'm a, you know, my academic backstory is I have a PhD in anthropology. Um, I did not go into academia after I finished my PhD. Uh, Like a lot of people, I I decided that world was not for me. And so I work as a science writer. Um, uh, And I live in outside of Washington, DC, currently. Um, And for the past 10 years, pretty much more than 10 years now, I've been uh, very interested in precognition. And uh, and there's a sort of paranormal backstory to why I got interested in that. Um, but uh, precognition is the purported psychic ability of seeing, knowing, or being influenced by things in the future event, future events, future experiences. Um, people very commonly experience what we call precognitive dreams, which are dreams that somehow play out in real life sometime, you know, after the dream. Uh, but it, it manifests, uh, people experience it in waking states all the time in meditation. Mm-hmm. Uh, you may have a flash image or a hypnagogic image that that corresponds to something that's about to happen. Uh, you may, some pe- people who hear voices or see visions readily um, uh, may, you know, experience precognition in that form. Uh, and my current work is on art and creativity and how it manifests mm-hmm. for writers and artists. Um, but uh, it's, you know, it's controversial in the wider world of science and psychology because mainstream science still doesn't accept that there is such a thing as precognition. But uh, decades and decades of research now, uh, nearly a century actually of of scientific research has, has amassed abundant evidence um, that it's real. Uh, we can talk a bit about that if you want to, some of the, the experimental um, evidence but, um, but, you know, mountains and mountains of anecdotal evidence, uh, honestly, I'm mm-hmm. even more persuaded, even though I'm a social scientist, I should be, you know, only interested in scientific, you know, experimental evidence. I'm honestly, the anecdotal evidence is more compelling to me and more, uh, rich in telling us what this ability is, how it works, yeah. uh, and how it manifests. And, um, I think you need to use, you need to sort of draw from, you know, kind of scientific methodology and reasoning, but you need to also draw from, uh, you know, other tools that are more familiar in the humanities, um, in studying mm-hmm. precognition. So anyway, that's, so I wrote a book, what, six years ago now called time loops, which was sort of, a a first, it was sort of a summation of the evidence, uh, and including not only the evidence from parapsychology, uh, but also uh, the sort of emerging currents in physics, 
and quantum biology that are starting to uh, make sense of how this could really work, how this could be a real physical, biological process. I'm not, you know, I'm not interested, I'm not persuaded by, you know, ESP writers just hand waving about how it's about consciousness and, and, yeah. and whatnot. I mean, that's what writers have always done on this topic. And I don't think that's enough. I think that, that this is a real uh, thing that will have a physical psychological explanation. Um, mm -hmm. uh, and we can start to do that. Uh, and, and so, you know, I, I, I lay out the sort of the, the phys the possible physics behind it, uh, and the possible biology behind it. Um, and I also connect it to, to, um, uh, the, what I think is really important, which is psychoanalytic theory. Um, people sort of think of Freud as having mm. been debunked or whatever. It's really not true. <laughs> Freud, Freud remains mm -hmm. incredibly relevant. And his theory of the unconscious, or what is sometimes called his metapsychology, that is, say, sort of that iceberg model of the, you know, you have the, the conscious mind at the tip of the iceberg, but then you have all this stuff below the water, the unconscious with the, you know, the id and the super ego, that, all that stuff. That, I argue, uh, in time loops is a kind of ready-made model for understanding precognition. Uh, I like to say, just sort of turn that iceberg on its side and imagine the the kind of x-axis of time you know and that 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 what we call the unconscious may be future cognition future consciousness sort of refluxing back in time influencing us in the present moment uh mm -hmm. manifesting in dreams artistic inspiration and what have you so that's kind of the, 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 the argument of time loops. And then after I published time loops, um, honestly, art and creativity were my big interest. And I sort of had in mind mm -hmm. like a big project studying how this manifests in, in creative people. Um, yeah. but whenever I presented on this, you know, in podcasts like this or, you know, in lectures and so on, uh, people would always ask me about dreams because they would always bring their dreams to me. And, you know, and, mm -hmm. and I just got bombarded by emails and people telling me their dream experiences and, and just wanting to understand uh, the very common phenomenon of precognitive dreaming. So I yeah. kind of took a year off from my creativity project and wrote a book uh, called precognitive dream work and the long self, mm -hmm. which is uh, sort of, applying what we know or what we to believe about right <laughs> about precognition how it works to uh the study of dreams uh and giving some practical uh guidance yeah. in how any ordinary dreamer can access precognition and experience precognition um through keeping a dream journal and mm -hmm approaching their dream journal with, uh, in a certain way that, that looks for signs of, of, of precognitive information. Um, mm -hmm. so, but then after I got that out of the way, I returned to the, the, the creativity project. I'm about to publish my third book called from nowhere, 
oh. artists, writers, and the precognitive imagination. Uh, and it's, it's all about uh, precognitive art and literature, basically, and how precognition seems to work uh, in the lives and careers of creative people. Um, mm -hmm. So long answer to your question about that's a great what answer. I, I mean, there's um, a lot that we can take out there. That's a great summary. <laughs> I mean, that's a challenging question. You do a lot of stuff and it also it's stuff that's sometimes hard to grasp for people, even people who are interested in that stuff. You know, we have all our preconceived ideas of how precognition uh, works and what it can be used for, quote unquote. Yeah, <laughs> right. So, um, yeah, and while you, because because you mentioned, uh, 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 I usually don't go too much in the science, um, not because it doesn't interest me, uh, but because I, um, there's a lot of people already who do that, but still, I mean, I, th I think it's, uh, and also maybe because, maybe you'll agree, I, I think you might agree with me on that point because uh, a lot of of that stuff is um, not really uh, adapted, if you want to call it that, uh, to the settings of, um, uh, of of the lab, you know? Right. So, yeah. but it's still, I mean, not everything can be. <laughs> well, it centers on emotions, you know, and yeah. uh, things that are, that are interesting, you know, and exciting mm -hmm. and threatening and traumatic and you know, those are exactly the things that a lab setting is designed to eliminate, you know, uh, and even, you know, you can do little things to try and increase the, uh, the engagement factor of an, of a laboratory experiment. And in fact, some of the most interesting precognition research, uh, does that. And I can tell you about one really interesting study that, that sure. did make it interesting and showed uh, why it's important. Um, mm -hmm. but yeah, I mean, it, this is, but this is true, not just of, of psychic phenomena. It's true of, of anything. You know, I, I really, uh, think that psychology, experimental psychology is very limited in terms of what it can tell us about being human. And I say this as someone who worked for many years as a as an editor for a psychology organization, and my parents were scientific psychologists. I've I've come from that <laughs> world, but I have come out of it with uh, a real awareness of how its claims are overstated <laughs> for mm -hmm. being able to understand human behavior and human nature. Yeah. I'll tell you about that one experiment that I was thinking of. Um, uh, and this is actually one of the things that got me into studying precognition was uh, I told you I was uh, for many years, I was editorial director for a, a big psychology uh, organization. And uh, during that time, a very eminent scientific psychologist at Cornell university named Daryl Bem published the results of this big series of experiments he had run sort of in the first decade of the, of the century with lar a large student pool of Cornell undergraduates. 
Um, these were big experiments. Uh, most most experiments in parapsychology journals tend to be these little tiny experiments, and then, you know you kind of understand why mainstream science doesn't pay attention to them. They just don't. You know, there isn't the money, unfortunately, to run big mm-hmm. experiments in parapsychology. But Daryl Ben was an exception. He 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 ran uh, these big experiments where what he did was he reversed the uh, reversed. Uh, stimulus and response to reverse the temporal sequence of stimulus and response in some basic uh, psychology paradigms uh, like priming studies uh, and memory studies and stuff like that. And, mm-hmm. uh, and he got evidence, significant evidence of uh, what we call presentiment. That is to say sort of unconscious um unconscious precognition being influenced by something that's going to happen in the future, not consciously, but, but subconsciously or through our feelings. Presentiment means literally feeling before. Um, and Mm so the most famous, his most famous finding or his most famous experiment was where he put students in front of a computer and there, the computer screen would show two curtains. Okay. And they had to click, they had to guess which curtain had a picture behind it. Okay. Uh, now Mm. theoretically they should be only be correct 50% of the time. And that was the case, uh, when the picture that was going to be revealed was boring. Okay. A boring picture, like a beach scene or something like that. But Mm -hmm. when the picture was erotic, okay, they were, they scored higher than chance on these experiments, which, you know, that's what I was talking about. They were keying in on some arousal, uh, yep. in their immediate future. You know, that is to say after mm-hmm. the mouse click and, uh, this, you know, this kind of blew minds. In fact, he even talked about this on the Colbert report, uh, after, uh, after the, the paper came out, but, uh, anyway, he, and then, okay. And I'll tell you another, another, um, another experiment he ran. Uh, he did a sort of standard memory, word recall task with, with, with Mm -hmm. the participants where he would show, show them a word list. Okay. And then typically in such a task, you would then have some sort of refresher or some sort of second thing that, and then test them at the end and see how that second thing influenced their, their test. But what he did was he showed the word list, tested them on the words, and then refreshed them on certain words, certain of the words. And guess what? They did better on recalling the words that they were refreshed, uh, after the test. Okay. <laughs> so, um, you know, mind blowing and the, yeah. uh, the, it went through peer review, but the editors of the journal, this was actually not my organization that was publishing this, but it came across my desk because my organization was thinking of publishing, you know, writing a letter, you know, this cannot, you know, this is a travesty, you know, this is, mm-hmm. you know, pseudoscience, this, this can't be real. You know, the editors of that, of the journal that, that he published it in, you know, had a, a, a letter accompanying the, the article saying, you know, we can't explain this. This goes against our beliefs, <laughs> but, but, you know, it's <laughs> past you know, it's been peer reviewed. The methods look sound. Everything looks okay. You know, it's, it's our responsibility to publish this and they were right. Mm -hmm. And, uh, but that article really got me, uh, thinking about, you know, what, what could this 
possibly mean? It's mind it's mind blowing. And at first he's like, no, it's impossible. You just there's a your immediate response to something like that is no, mm-hmm. that's impossible. How could that be? Well, it's you know, it's it's not. <laughs> um, uh-huh. uh, and uh, so yeah, I mean, I started doing my due diligence in 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 reading the literature on precognition and um, uh, yeah, and then realizing, oh, I was experiencing it myself. You know, it's like it's that you start to learn about this and you realize, oh, you know what? I've had those dreams and I've swept them under mm-hmm. the rug because oh, that was impossible. But no, it's it's um, it's real. Yep, it is definitely real. Um, actually, we because uh, we we had to move the uh the time for the interview a bunch of times and uh i gotta tell you it's kind of a good thing we were supposed to do this last week and um i don't even know where to start um (laughs) (laughs) that's that's the way these stories always start it's like this pause um i gotta tell you this thing that happened and it's like (sighs) yeah i don't know if i'm gonna get into the specific story right now you know because i've um also like it was at first a bit in, uh, intimidating uh, for me to interview you today because I also listen to a lot of people, um, uh, a lot, uh, to you a lot on a lot of other shows. And, you know, like Jeffrey Mishlove, New Thinking Aloud, uh, Aeon Byte uh, with Miguel Connor, uh, Rune Soup with uh, Gordon White. And I mean, they were so knowledgeable and I, I'm, not a, I'm not a scholar, you know, like I, I'm a very slow reader. <laughs> Um, so I'm like, where am I, how, how can I manage not to get him bored out of, out of his mind, you know? <laughs> so, but the thing is, I've, I've, the thing, yeah, I, I, uh, I showed the book, uh, your, your second book, uh, earlier, uh, I got into it and, um, yeah, maybe I can start with that and maybe you can comment on that or something. Let me I, guess. Wait a minute. Let me guess. You had a precog. You ahead. had a dream about something that was that you read in the book the next day. Almost. Whoops. Because I've had that experience <laughs> with this book. But go ahead. Really? Okay. Okay. I've had people. Yeah. Like that. tell me. Like I had this this dream, and then I opened your book, and the the thing I dreamed about was you know what you had written in the book. I've had this experience specifically with this book um so wow okay well if you want to tell that story uh but i'll just tell mine real quick because it's it's pretty quick so i have like um i said i i I told myself and i would never say this on the show but i'm kind of a walking synchronicity um and i'm gonna say it now i'm born on july 7 77 so Like I'm at seven, 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 yeah. you know, right. yeah. and I, I get a like a, I, I kind of get a feel for for, for uh, synchronicities and and its language and it's hard for me to put into words, but I I I, I think that over the years I've uh, grown, um, yeah, to kind of uh, understand more or less what it's about for myself, you know. Uh, but uh, nevertheless, the, the thing is, I, I kind of feel when a kind of, of a wave of synchronicity is going to happen. Yeah. And um, so just when I started your book, um, I was uh, in the living room with my partner and um, I told her right before starting the, 
reading it, I, I said, oh, we're going to have a wave of synchronicities. And she knows me and she's, you know, she lives with me. We share all those. So she's like, oh, OK. <laughs> um, so I start reading and she's just uh, right there, probably reading, too. And uh, I, I, I'm reminded of a, a precognitive dream that I had. It's really quick. Um, I had it when I was like eight or nine, maybe, you know. So I'm, I'm, it's right before I, I wake up. I dream of my dad calling me to the, the kitchen and telling me, um, get up and go, to, uh, go get some milk. But then he gives me $20. That's in the 80s, you know, $20. That's a lot. And he says, keep the change. You know, so I'm like, whoa. <laughs> so then I'm awakened by my dad calling me to the kitchen, telling me, uh, go get some milk. And he reached inside his wallet, pulls out $2 and says, keep the change. <laughs> right. you know? yeah. Yeah. So I tell her that that uh, that little dream I had. And then I keep reading, and right when I'm done, I get to the oh, I can't. I should have noted the name of the person, but the, the guy who dreamt about uh, winning lottery, yeah. but it was about his the cousin or yeah. uncle. I can't remember exactly. Right. But yeah. the so not to give the to spoil right. the story, but in the introduction, yeah, yeah, yeah. I forget the yeah, guy's name. Exactly. He was in England, and he 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 dreamt that his parents won the lottery, and and kept calling them, you know, what, what, you know, did you win? It's like, no, we didn't win the lottery. But then they told him, oh, oh, you're my, you know, his dad's cousin just won the lottery. And then, and the man yeah. matched, you know, the details in his dream, like really, really closely. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Cause the, the, the money was in a bottle of milk, right? It was in a milk bottle. So, yes. And the guy was a milkman or whatever. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So yeah. to me, like the notion of, uh, the money and then yeah, it's in the, a bottle of milk and my dream. Yeah. It was like, so then I look at at, at uh, my sure. girlfriend and I'm like, look, see, there you go, see? there it's, you go. So you told her the dream before, and then you read the story in my book. Is that right it? before? Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. See, okay, so you all right? So this is an interesting thing, and this is something we can talk about. Uh, and I make a mm -hmm. lot of this obviously in my in both of my books. Uh, is 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 most people the word that they that they have for describing these kinds of experiences is synchronicity that's the that's the term that that people apply and if they know you know if they have any you know most people don't know the word precognition they they, are, they don't come into this knowing the term precognition they haven't thought about that as a possibility but mm -hmm. they do know this term uh synchronicity and the, and actually, there's a, is a fascinating backstory to synchronicity and Carl Jung and why that concept became popular, especially over the past mm -hmm. uh, couple of decades. But um, but yeah, I would see I would simply call that a precognitive experience, um, and it's fine to use the term synchronicity. That's it's it's fine. But but I think that my argument that I make in my books is that is that the framework of precognition. Uh, is more explanatory and kind of helps you understand what's going on 
uh, psychologically and mentally in these yep. experiences and gives you some insight into how your thoughts, your very thought patterns are kind of bent or shaped by things that are about to happen to you. Um, mm -hmm. And in this case, you know, you're telling your partner uh, this old dream, you know, why did, why did you think to do that? Because yeah. of this experience that was coming down the pike, you know, and you're yeah. obviously a set, you know, you say you have synchronicity storms all the time. That means you're a sensitive, intuitive person. You're, you know, probably, uh, having, you know, precognitive dreams all the time. You're probably, you know, even if you don't know it, <laughs> you are. And, um, oh, yeah. and so, you know, your thoughts, you know, just on a daily basis are being bent by what's about to happen. And so understanding mm -hmm. that or, or thinking about it that way, thinking about yourself as a long self that's kind of snaking through time uh, with these experiences that are coming down the pike, they're essentially, they already exist in the future mm -hmm. and, and they're influencing you now in some way. Yeah. That, you know, it, it just gives you this kind of mind-blowing four-dimensional view of, of, of the self. So, you know, I, 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 yeah. I, I love to kind of encourage people to translate this, you know, idea of synchronicity into, into this idiom of precognition, because it kind of expands the dimensionality of the, of the yeah. self. Carl Jung's term, I mean, he, he had a lot of reasons for, for framing uh, and using that term synchronicity because at the time mm -hmm. uh, when he wrote his famous writings on synchronicity in the, in the early fifties, and he'd actually been thinking about this for like three decades, honestly, before he actually published on it because it was so, he didn't know what, what to do with these experiences. But at the mm -hmm. time there was no concept of retro causation in physics. That was like not a thing. Uh, and, and, for him at that time, it didn't, it just seemed completely implausible that a, an event in the future could in any way causally affect an event in the past that just, it just, he had a mental block to that. And, and to be fair, everyone did, you know, Freud did, mm -hmm. he didn't believe in precognition. Uh, uh, and, you know, most people didn't at that point, um, because there wasn't a concept uh, a plausibly physical concept of retro causation. Well, that has changed. Uh, mm -hmm. Physicists now, uh, or some physicists are now talking about retro causation. It's, it's, it's actually all the equations that describe the physical world on a quantum level allow for pre for, I'm um, sorry, for, for retro causation. And, mm -hmm. uh, and there's a, a sort of a growing, uh, interpretation of some of the biggest mysteries in quantum physics that says that those mysteries are because of retro causation, that we've been looking at them wrong all these years. So, uh, especially the issue of randomness and chance and see, and, and so Jung was building his theory of synchronicity. His, the idea was to collapse the time dimension and make everything and say, pretend everything is synchronous. There's a sort of, it all happens in this timeless, uh, a causal world. Uh, mm -hmm. uh, because he couldn't imagine a retrocausal link, but, but now I think we can, we can do better and imagine the kind of four dimensional, 
kind of structure of these yeah. of these experiences that are so common. I mean, they're they're incredibly common. And if and, uh, and I try to get people to realize, you know, if you're having synchronicities, it means you're you are experiencing precognition. You are experiencing your long self uh, mm-hmm. in all these experiences. But that's a it. great and story. That's, the, that's well, a yeah. Well, that's oh, you mean the. Your story. Yeah. I mean, it's a, that's, that's, that's awesome. Yeah. I mean, it's, well, that's the crazy, the, the, we, we keep saying mind blowing, but it's hard to put words on it. And it's pretty accurate. Actually, it's your, your mind, your concept of time and how, how it works. Like it's completely, yeah, (laughs) it's gone, you know? So, and, uh, yeah, I mean, for sure, whenever I have, uh, quote unquote synchronicities, Uh, I'm going to see them in a different way. And it makes total sense that even that little story that I, I, I told, um, th- yeah, was more of a of precognition than... Because, uh, yeah, well, that's the thing. Uh, because we get... When, okay. The term, you know more about that than, than I do. But uh, from what I know, the term synchronicity is a coincidence that, it, that has meaning. Okay. And well, so far so good. <laughs> a meaningful coincidence. Mm-hmm. But um as a person who's uh experienced uh a lot of them, um that that meaning part is kind of hard, you know, to to it's like what does it mean exactly, you know? So when you kind of uh and I over the years I've started to 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 pull um to take that idea out the the meaning part it's it it's it's not that it doesn't mean anything it's significant but it, you don't necessarily have a a, a a sense of meaning to you know for example i had a, a series uh, i'm not going to get in, into the details but uh uh on one night i had a series of um i'm going to call it them synchronicities for now uh with roses and what kind of drew me crazy was like drove me crazy was like I, why why roses you know like i don't i don't i like them but i mean you know they don't mean that much to me you know so i started um yeah considering uh the 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 phenomenon uh from a different angle and uh i mean the, yours is the angle you're suggesting is is uh <laughs> well yeah it's contributing to my my thinking. Yeah, I don't sure. I mean <laughs> what I would say is the meaning is the meaning's coming from you. You know, you're the one giving the meaning and the meaning is a product of that long self. So you can't ever mm. know the answer because there's still more of your yourself there that you haven't gotten to yet, <laughs> you know? And that's yeah, yeah, revealing yeah. that's continually revealing the meaning of these of these or the significance if you want to say of these of these experiences. But one thing I'll say, and actually this is something that, um, that, you know, if, if there's like maybe a couple things, if I were going to do a, a, a revised edition of my DreamWork book, I would actually emphasize more because I don't think it's really emphasized enough in the book. I sort of say it quickly and then I move on, but I think it needs more emphasis is that one of the things that it magnetizes the precognitive mind, uh, is coincidence. That is to say, random coincidence. Okay. You know, Mm -hmm. say, you know, 
you know, you, you just, just because of the random chance in the universe, you know, you encounter, you know, a rose bush and then you see a rose sticker on a car and then you see, you know, you know, and you, and then you, you have lunch with a person named Rose, you know, and it's like, mm-hmm. um, they could be just totally, you know, now to a, to a Jungian, to Carl Jung, that's, there may be an archetypal reason for that. I say, you know, there doesn't need to be any higher meaning to that, but you're going to notice that because the brain craves coincidence. The brain craves um, craves things associating Patterns. with each other. Okay, that's how our memory mm-hmm. works. That's how that's how what, how our memory is structured is through coincidences of one kind or another, and yeah. uh, and so we have a hunger for that. The brain has a hunger for that, and. So when we experience even just a random coincidence, that's emotionally salient. That's like a reward. We get a, we actually get a dopamine burst from that. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and the precognitive, our precognitive capacity is keying in on that. So we are, we are unconsciously being drawn to situations where there are coincidences um, and the fact that we were drawn to them, we don't realize that, that we're kind of being guided by this precognitive, uh, homing mechanism. Um, mm-hmm. but that adds to the uncanniness of these coincidences when they occur. So even let's just, you know, you know, the fact is there's, you know, roses everywhere and we're just not noticing them, but, you know, somehow, you know, a rose bush and then a rose sticker and meeting a person named Rose, you know, that'll, um, those those occur close together in time yeah. our precognitive brain is is guiding us to those encounters uh mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. At, and then amplifying the 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 significance or meaning of those uh encounters and what's you know they don't have to have a higher meaning i mean that could, they're they're part of our life our life is meaningful you know our biography mm-hmm. is the most important thing, <laughs> you know, honestly. Uh, right. So uh, that that sense that that precognitive that the precognitive brain is a homing mechanism uh, orienting us towards coincidence of various kinds, I think, is really mm-hmm. important. And again, I I sort of mentioned that somewhere in the book. I know I have a sentence that that the precognitive brain is a coincidence detector, but it's more important than that. I think that, that, uh, guiding us towards these experiences, these synchronistic experiences is really an important factor there. Cause those are the most, those are me, those, whatever their meaning, they are meaningful and people experience mm-hmm. them as meaningful. And, uh, and those can, those meaningful experiences structure our lives and they can be the basis for, uh, I argue in the new book that they're the basis for a religion. They're the basis for, um, uh, you know, they can be powerful motivators uh, in any context. So, mm-hmm. uh, yeah. But do you have an idea of why? Well, okay. I have kind of an idea. <laughs> you can tell me what you think about it. Uh, why it is actually that uh, we... Uh, we would go towards those, um, uh, our brain would take us towards those experiences. Um, and I'm saying the brain, but I'm not sure. Right. I'm not really big. Mind, brain, whatever. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. So uh, it feels to me like there's some kind of a, 
um, a growth process going going there, you know, like um, in um, I wouldn't say nature. Let's let's say in in uh, wilderness. Okay, let's start with wilderness. Everything strives to grow all the time. Like tr trees will try to get bigger, and sometimes they can, sometimes they can't. Uh, animals want to feed themselves and grow, and you know, like, and so in the bigger picture. Uh, and in nature, we're part of it, and I think our it feels like our consciousness is part of that too. So I'm wondering if because I I see how there's kind of a progress for my mind to be blown. Okay, so it's kind of steps, incrementals, you know. So my theory <laughs> is that. Uh, it's just um, consciousness tries to expand just as a, a tree tries to grow. So in increments, you know, you can't pull on a tree like it, it doesn't change anything, you know, and it, actually it's going to break it if you pull on it. So because um, I, I won't get into too many details, but do you think it's just, uh, yeah, just kind of an... Um, um, our minds growing grow like as a part of a natural process. It sounds Absolutely. like a question. The, it sounds the, the self word, evident, but well, I mean, you can the way you're phrasing it, consciousness expanding. I mean, you're putting it in sort of you know metaphysical terms, which is great. But you could also translate yeah. that same idea into very kind of reductive psychology and say that we're learning. It's the le a learning process, and that's exactly mm -hmm. what. That's exactly what the, I was talking about. The brain that, or mind brain, whatever you want to call it. We, yeah. the, we, we crave association and connect and, and coincidence. Uh, coincidence is just kind of association and the brain memory is formed on association. Uh, coincidences of various kinds um, or things that are linked, connected, connection, connection. Mm -hmm. Um, and that's the, the, it's, it's a very irrational kind of thing, but, but that's what structures our memory. And that's how we learn by forming associations. So we move through life hungry to learn, hungry to remember, to remember our experience and, and learn from it and grow and move forward. And so you can call that expansion of consciousness if you want, or you can simply call it the, an organism moving through its environment and learning. So you could use a reductive yeah. term or you can use the metaphysical term. It's the same thing. Um, and that's, mm -hmm. that's, that's what I'm talking about. We're, uh, you know, as we, I sort of envision the, the long self as kind of a path through a landscape. And uh, as we move down that landscape, we are constantly encountering uh, interesting and important things that we need to remember uh, and mm. learn from, uh, and uh, and we remember things when they are there's some sort of coincidence or connection that's irrational, uh, illogical, uh, but it helps hang these experiences onto our long-term memory architecture. Um, mm -hmm. And uh, if you know, one thing I really recommend people who are interested in this topic to learn about and read about is the, is the medieval art of memory. Um, because 
or not just medieval, ancient art of memory, but the Greeks figured figured out how the, how memory works. Uh, mm-hmm. And you know, neuroscientists are only coming around to to, to, to understanding that they were right uh, that 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 memory does not work like uh, an Excel spreadsheet. You know, I think you know psychology has has you know for centuries kind of been mesmerized by this idea of 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 filing things in sort of a bureaucratic kind of filing cabinet excel spreadsheet kind of kind of way but that's not the way an organic memory system works an organic memory system works on illogical irrational uh associations and coincidences meaningless coincidences that help anchor experiences in memory and so we're hungry Uh, our mind brain whatever is our consciousness is hungry for for those experiences of things coming together, things kind of unexpectedly colliding or coming together. And that's what a synchronicity mm-hmm. is. And that's what, uh, or a coincidence is. Uh, and yeah. uh, on a more general level, it's just how our automatic memory learning system is processing or digesting the world as we move through it. And mm-hmm. precognition is orienting us to valuable you know, uh, valuable experiential resources in our environment, you know, uh, that, that watering holes or, or, you know, where, (laughs) where we, we feed our, uh, our hungry, uh, mind, let's just call it mind. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, I could use, uh, um, and maybe it would be inaccurate, but um, it feels like if you're you're driving a car or a bike or whatever, and you're just you're looking uh, forward and you see things that you're gonna, <laughs> you know, like steer towards or away from and mm-hmm. things like that is would be like a kind of mm, a primitive form of uh, of precognition in a yeah. way. Uh, I don't know. So it kind of feels like uh, if if we go one step further, and I have a, a uh, an example uh, of what I'm suggesting. Mm-hmm. Um, it it kind of feels like okay. I'm gonna speak for myself. Like all those experiences I've had since starting uh, reading your book and stuff, it feels it kind of feels like a um, a new sense, like a call it a sixth sense if you want, mm-hmm. uh, kind of developing like. Yeah. Oh, okay. I can not only see that further down down the road there's a, a curve, and I have I'll have to turn, but I also like I can see like mm-hmm. in ten years. But it's something like yeah. so far you, we can't really do anything about. Like so, that's kind of the problem. Right. And I know we, well, I don't want to get into free will now. Maybe a <laughs> bit later. But uh, <laughs> uh, so my uh, the the example I want to give, and and you tell me if it's a good if it's a good one. I know you're familiar with um, um, remote viewing, different remote viewing uh, uh, programs. Mm-hmm. So you probably know about Pat Price, who yes. was uh, mm-hmm. one of the considered one of the greatest. And um, so uh, there, there's this story uh, when he was um, given. Ah, I'm try- I'm going to try to make it quick. He was given uh, coordinates on a map. I think actually him and Ingo Swan were given the same coordinates and they came up with like crazy description of um, 
of uh, uh, like a secret military base with a lot of details and yeah. like something really big. And I don't know if you, you're familiar with yeah, that story. Yeah, uh, it was an NSA facility that they both exactly. independently got. Oh, NSA, yeah. Yeah. And but then it, it, it happens that the guy who gave the um, the uh, the coordinates for the experiment was like, well, you're you, that's not it at all. I gave you the coordinates right. for my 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 cabin. Mm -hmm. But it happened that that facility was near there. And then uh, so they, they just focused on what was, uh, uh, for lack of a better term, energetically charged like you know like in the what i guess could be called the imaginal field or something like that and i remember pat price saying um uh that every uh, whatever's um being hidden shines in the i don't Burns, yeah, shines said. brightly in psychic space. Yeah, I know the quote. Like a yeah. like a be yeah, shines right. bright like, like a, a beacon. beacon. Yeah. yeah, right. So, um, I'm 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 tempted mm -hmm. to you know to go towards that like, yeah. but still we 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 have precognitive uh, experiences of very seemingly unimportant things too. Well. Yes, yes, but and there's an asterisk by that. This okay. is this is a big topic in the in the Dreamwork book, as you know, having mm -hmm. having delved into it, is that is that you know famously people have you know precognitive dreams about you know really boring you know <laughs> <laughs> random <laughs> things uh, yeah. and uh, and there are a few things to say about that. Number one, I think, and this is a hypothesis, and I don't think you could ever prove this, or at least not with present resources could you ever prove it. But I think, mm -hmm. I think that precognition is a very basic, constant process um, of the dreaming brain, for instance, and that we are really metabolizing or pre-metabolizing uh, salient, emotionally salient experiences. Uh, all experiences and that's going to include some things that like well why did i dream about that well you're what you're forgetting is that you've forgotten you know 99 of the dreams that you've had in the course of a night but you happen to remember one and you mm -hmm. know if you you know looked at what all those dreams you know were comparing them to the events in your day well you happened you know, maybe you happen to remember a dream about a big event the next day but you may have happened to remember a dream about uh you know, a sink backing up at work. That's an example I use from my own dream journal. You know, it's like a uh -huh. kind of minor thing, but honestly, sink backing up at work, that was kind of the biggest event in my morning. You know, my life is boring. Like most of us, are, our lives, you know, thank God are, are pretty dull. So, you know, the, you know, the fact <laughs> is, okay, you know, it was a sink backing up. It wasn't a big deal, but you know, I, I precognitively dreamed about it because there was nothing bigger happening. And so my, my hungry brain is, is, is fastening on that, you know, objectively pretty trivial event, uh, because that's what it's pro that's what it evolved to do is, is kind of metabolize our experience. Um, uh -huh. and that includes, you know, I mean, it was emotionally salient, you know, it was like, Oh my God, the sinks backed up. It was kind of a surprise and, and, you know, it was 
a bit of a pain in the ass. You know, that's, that's, <laughs> what do you want? <laughs> you know, you know, thank goodness there wasn't a terror attack or something, you know, you know, the, yeah. the, the sort of annals of precognitive dreams, you know, are, are dominated by these, you know, dreams about plane crashes and terror attacks and nine eleven and stuff yeah. like that. But thank goodness, you know, our lives most of the time, uh, you know, especially if we're, you know, privileged white people in North America, you know, it's, our lives are pretty dull. Uh, and mm-hmm. so our, you know, that's what are the kinds of things that our, uh, brains maybe, you know, focusing on. Um, yeah, that's one, that's one part of the answer. <clears throat> I think there's another part though. When, when people notice these dreams about really boring kind of events, it never occurs to them to situate that event in the context of their larger day. Uh, and one thing that I've discovered both in my own dreams and in other people's dreams is that <clears throat> we often dream about very mundane sometimes like just astonishingly mundane experiences that are like right adjacent to some big upheaval in our day. Mm -hmm. Um, I'll give you an example. And this is an example. This is one of those people who came up to me after a talk to share a dream experience. And unfortunately I didn't get his name and I didn't uh, uh, get any information. I wish I had because it's, it's a perfect example and I, and I use it a lot. Uh, uh, I'll just say this, this guy, I don't, you know, it's not, I'm not giving away any private details or anything here, but this guy was at a conference, uh, and he was, he and everyone he was with were evacuated from the building because, uh, there had been a bomb threat. Uh, and so he, it was a city he didn't really know, um, uh, oh, well, I'll, first let me say he had a dream, I think maybe a couple of weeks before, just very like incredibly bland dream of just walking into this, uh, diner, nothing interesting about it. Just a diner, just a, inside uh-huh. of a diner. And that was the dream. Okay. Forgets the dream of course. But then two weeks later, he's at this conference and then everyone is evacuated from the building or the hotel or whatever because of a bomb threat. Um, mm-hmm. and the police outside say, just get, you know, get like a few blocks away please, you know, so everyone sort of has to scatter. So he and the people he's with go off to find lunch. Um, and, and they drive around a bit and they find a a restaurant and, uh, they park and they go in the door and boom, it's the diner he had dreamed about. Okay. Well, Mm. so, you know, you could say, well, that was a, why would he dream about the diner? I think sometimes people dream about moments of calm rewarding moments of calm after Mm. something scary and threatening. Uh, and I've, I've, I've noticed this a lot in my own dreams as well. After this, after talking to this guy about this dream, I've noticed the same kind of pattern in my own dreams as well, that sometimes, you know, a very kind of randomly stupid thing that I dreamed about, actually, if you put it in the context of what was happening right beforehand or right afterwards, Oh, it, there's, it makes some kind of sense. It's connected in some weird way to something interesting that was happening. Um, Mm -hmm. and our, 
again, our memory is structured in very funny ways and in very irrational ways. But I think, uh, I think these, these moments that might seem meaningless and like, why would I dream about that? If you actually kind of put it in context and think about it, reflect on what was happening beforehand, what was happening after, you may get more, uh, there, a rationale uh, that didn't seem mm-hmm. obvious initially often emerges. So that's a second answer to the to the question. I don't even remember what the question was at the time, but <laughs> but it's okay. I mean, it's, it's just trying to figure out how how this like uh, why is it that we we remember these future events um, spe- like why some you know, like, uh, yeah. get our attention and some, and some stick to our memory, uh, our quote unquote normal memory. And, uh, right. Well, I'll say, you know, the, the, the irony of dreams is dreams are about forming new memories. I mean, that's a, that's actually a, a sort of a consensus that has formed in the last couple of decades in neuroscience and psychology that, that in one way or another, dreams are about, uh, making new long-term memories out of short-term memories. Okay. Um, mm-hmm. and I, you know, I, it makes perfect sense to me. And I, I see precognition as simply a, a, a part of our memory that our memory goes both directions. And at night yeah. we are, our brain is very rapidly fashioning these memory bundles, uh, of, but it's linking future experiences to those past experiences. So it's bundling them. It's bundling, you know, future and past experiences together um, mm-hmm. uh, so, um, it makes, you know, it, it makes, I forget, I, I lost my train of thought there, but, <laughs> but, uh, uh, yeah. Memory. Like, why do we remember specific things? Oh, oh, okay. Memory? I remember what I was going to say. I remember what I was going to say. Cool, the cool. irony of dreaming <laughs> is that it's about making new memories, but it's very hard to remember dreams. Dreams like evaporate in the morning when yeah. you try to, you know, and we, and people often believe that they don't dream uh, because they never remember their dreams. But in fact, we're all dreaming mm-hmm. about two and a half hours every night, having the vivid REM sleep uh, dreams. We're dreaming in the, in the deeper sleep stages as well. Um, yeah. And uh, we're dreaming all night and we're having God knows how many dreams in the course of a night, mm-hmm. but we're, at best remembering, you know, a teeny tiny fraction of them. So that yeah. again, it goes back to this idea of, well, why do I s- dream about seemingly random things? Well, in fact, I think you're probably dreaming about everything, but you're only remembering mm-hmm. a small sample of, of those things. And so yeah. it's going to seem haphazard why I dream about a sink backing up versus, mm-hmm. you know, a big, you know, a big event. Yeah. 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 Well, it, it, brings us back i think to this uh idea that uh i used the term consciousness earlier uh i i sh- I, I kind of shouldn't have uh i think awareness nothing wrong is, with it. is yeah. a better term uh because yeah consciousness is is much more uh <laughs> convoluted thing controversial um, yeah and yeah to say the least <laughs> um but uh yeah so so just yeah again it feels like a sense uh 
a new sense for me it feels like that you know like a, a, a new sense growing and oh yeah that's what i, I was going to say is um it, it it feels those experiences i've had in the last few weeks uh, feel like uh, they're not really about the events as much as it was about ha i have to experience them you know yeah. so maybe it's a good oh, actually i remember um we skipped on um you said you had a dream about uh about the book or earlier no, people readers of the book tell me they have dreams about something that they're about to read okay i thought in, i thought you said you yeah. also had like some some no. crazy ex yeah. um, experience yeah. oh okay okay, okay cool. so um yeah okay so maybe it's a good time to tell my my own story <laughs> that happened yeah. after yeah, I uh, hear it. reading okay so i'm really bad at making this quick but i'll try my best i know people are here to hear you so okay okay so uh january january 12 i'm st i started reading your book and i thought uh actually probably a bit uh, before that but still january 12 I decide, okay, what I'm going to do is I'm going to write my dreams and do those experiences, uh, experiments that you, you suggest. So, uh, in a nutshell, um, write them down when you, you wake up, uh, just for people to know. Um, and then look back uh, if there's correlations and also do some free association as you're uh, writing them. So far, so good? Yep. <laughs> All right. So, so, I, uh, but the, the, the problem I have, and I don't know if a lot of people have this same problem. I stopped writing my dreams down because they are extremely complex and detailed. <laughs> yeah. So I would spend, I, I, I'm not kidding. Like at least an hour, sometimes I've, yeah. I've, I've spent like three hours. Uh, yeah. So I love doing that. I, I wish that was my life, but yeah, I know, I know. <laughs> so, but I, I, I'm gonna say I only need, needed one, and it yeah. was. Phew. Anyways, okay. So, uh, January twelfth, I have this. Uh, actually, that's the day of the dream. I decide to record them on January January eleven. 12. I have the dream, um, which I uh, told my partner. So I have a kind of a corrob corroborating uh, right. thing. So, okay. The dream is I dream about two actresses and because of their name, their names and what they've been in. And they're related to the to black and white. One of them is actually named white. That's her uh, last name. So we're at this um, um, uh, bar, like a like a, uh, a milkshake bar, <laughs> like a fifties milkshake. Then mm -hmm. this guy yeah. with a like a paper hat, like you know, like washing a super big glass. <laughs> mm -hmm. And so I go to her, to the uh, white actress. <laughs> she's not. She she's actually white, but whatever. <laughs> And I see she's drawing, she, she's, uh, she's making it like a pencil drawing. And I go to her and I say, um, I have projects to talk to talk to you about. Um, but before I get into that, um, 
let me give you some some help with your drawing because it's like a pencil drawing it's all smudged up you know when when you rub your hand on mm -hmm. it so um so i look at the the drawing and it's waves kind of um not waves in water but more like sand you know like you see mm -hmm. like in the desert because of the wind it forms mm -hmm. waves and between all the waves there's characters there um i see uh nietzsche in the center uh for some reason and at the bottom left corner uh there's a lot of people like that i, I and i noted uh in big letters peasants because they felt like you know and we could see the faces like they were kind of deformed, like a, a Euronymous uh, yeah. Bosch, uh, Bosch painting, you know? So, uh, oh yeah, but there's oh, there's a tiny detail I forgot to mention. I told her, um, uh, when I told her, when I wrote down the thing about the projects I wanted to tell her about, I said, I'm going to talk to you uh, about them later. And then in parentheses, I wrote projects, and then I wrote SIM, S-I-M. And I have no idea why I wrote that. I'm like, what does that even mean? Like, and I thought maybe in French, like, what is, is that like a, because my first language is French. So, <laughs> okay. So then the, the, the dream switches to uh, another, uh, like a pizza place, but also like a same aesthetics. And one of my best friends is there and he's like uh, holding a newspaper and you see the, the newspaper headline uh, very big. Okay, so that's the dream. I tell that to my girlfriend and I move on with my life, but I get back to it once in a while. Okay. So, few, back in reality, <laughs> a few months ago, um, me and uh, my partner, we started uh, watching The X-Files, like from mm -hmm. the beginning. She had never seen an episode, so, right. so it's kind of our little ritual yeah. that every day we watch uh, an episode, or almost every day. And um, so, on the 20th, uh, wait, no, on the 21st, we get to season five, episode five, and in the um, software I use for the, to play the, the files, there is a description uh, of the episode and I see black and white. So I turn to her. Um, okay, if we see like a 50s diner, right. like that's going to be mad, you know? Yeah. yeah. So she's like, okay, we're going to look for that. And maybe you even remember the episode or if I, I well. don't, it's been forever since I, I haven't watched them okay. since the nineties. So yeah. All right. I'm almost done by the way. So, yeah. um, so of course there's a scene in right. the show where there's right. like, it happens in the diner yeah. and then there's like this bar and this camera panning, like, uh, just fall showing one person after the other. All people like they kind of the live in a small village. the The episode is in a small village, so you kind of see those people with very peculiar faces, like that again, you know, like. And then mm -hmm. also a lot of uh, specific moments in the the episode are of people holding um, papers with the the title, you know. Right. So in itself, it's like, yeah. 
and even some of the details i didn't even think about them myself it's it's uh my girlfriend who, who said oh have you noticed this also i'm like what the okay 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 yeah wait a minute it just trying to find ways on how it could be just me right. you know so i'm not a hundred percent like yeah that's that's it so okay skip to the next day next episode episode six and the um the episode is centered around a family um uh, just a dad and uh, uh, a couple and an adu their adopted daughter and the name the last the name of the family is the sim family s-i-m so at that point like i don't even i can't i for the life of me i don't know why i wrote those this right. word you know and it's specifically that that's so, great um, that's great yeah i had to stop you know the the episode that time i'm like yeah okay yo life wh what is life took <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> so, ah I made it as quick as possible. I, I hope it wasn't too boring for you. No, that's, I, that's, yes, this is the kind of experience that you have when you start doing this. And often like the first day or two, when you start doing this, you will mm -hmm. record a dream that, that plays out, you know, but it's not, it's, you know, not exactly playing out. Like people, you know, you have to kind of understand that it's not going to be a literal, you know, video quality preview of some experience. It's going to be something like, mm -hmm. like that, where it's, you know, it's, and that's often a TV show, or for me, it's often something on Twitter. You know, that's kind of my daily mm. ritual in the morning is getting on Twitter and like, you know, wasting a bunch of time on Twitter. And, and, you know, so I'll, you know, a lot of my precognitive dreams are about things that I, I see or, or encounter on Twitter the next day. Um, mm -hmm. But TV shows, you know, this often happens. I had a very similar experience um, to you around the German television series Dark. Uh, do you know that show? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's yep. really good. And it's about mm -hmm. one thing. I say this in the book. Things about time travel are like bait for your precognitive brain. Like we, they, they're somehow we like key in on that, or at least if you're interested in this stuff, you key in on it. Yeah. And um, I had a dream. <clears throat> this was years and years ago. This was uh, probably uh, 10 years ago now. Um, uh, I won't go into details, but it was set in, a, it had a very specific setting, which kind of, I thought, I kind of thought maybe it was Scandinavia, but it was this kind of forest, kind of this flat forest. And there was a big cut through in the forest um, and a very uh, specific scene involving like four helicopters and um, a few other things. Anyway, mm -hmm. I so years and years later, uh, uh, my wife and I started watching Dark. And it's, you know, and right from the very first episode set, in Germany, in this uh, in this town uh, near a, a nuclear plant. Oh, yeah, there was a like a a, a kind of te technical <laughs> facility, kind of very modern facility set in this forest. Anyway, it's the setting from the very first episode. I got oh, this reminds me of my dream so much. And there was this, and in every shot, every episode, there's a a shot of this cut through in the forest where there's some power lines. 
um, mm-hmm. very much, exactly like in my dream. And I, like, as I'm watching this show, it's just like, I just kept thinking about that. And then the very last scene of the first season, uh, the character, not to spoil anything, but character come crawls out of, and I, and I knew this was happening. It was like, it was like that, that feeling of, Oh my God, Oh my God, this is happening. It's happening. And I, the character <laughs> crawls out and it's in the future. And, and, uh, and he looks up and there's a, like a, this futuristic quadcopter flying over the top. And it was just like, Oh shit, this was, this like was the f- fulfillment of that dream that I'd had, you know, not quite a decade earlier, but it was before there were quadcopters. I mean, it's like, and so in fact, my, in my dream, it was four helicopters carrying something, but it was the same idea of a kind of a, a big quadcopter flying over. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, it's just, and as, as it's happening, I'm just like, holy, you know, it's, it's like one thing to recognize that you've had a precognitive dream. Um, but it's mm-hmm. another thing to, live it as it as as the experience is happening and realize and be remembering your dream at the same time it adds like multiple layers to this and you will Mm -hmm. find that your amazement is folded into the dream you're dreaming partly about you know you will find that some of the elements in the dream are about your amazement that this is a precognitive dream um yeah uh, and that's, I, I talk about that actually in the book a bit. Um, so yeah, this mm-hmm. is a kind of, <laughs> you, you, that was a beautiful example, what you described of, of the kind of just mind blowing <laughs> kind of life changing yeah. experience you can have, uh, by paying attention to your dreams with the, um, with the expectation or understanding that yes, precognition is real. Mm-hmm. And you can experience it and it's probably happening all the time and you're just not aware of it. Yeah. Wow. Uh, we're going to start wrapping up soon. So, uh, but, um, oh, okay. I have a, a visit from a little guy here. Apparently he comes in every episode now. <laughs> <laughs> I've got two black cats. Oh, well, me too. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, so, uh, where was I gonna go? Oh, I have so many. Like, I never like. I would keep you here for four hours, like as most of like, because like, I mean, th- there's it's that's the kind of conversation I've always wanted to have. And uh, uh, anyway, so well, okay. Maybe we could go because we don't have that much time left. But uh, first of all, I'm happy that um, my experience has been uh, Wargo approved. So. <laughs> Stamp of approval. Oh, all right. On it. Yeah, definitely. Can you, can you send a little certificate or something? Yeah. Okay. I would gladly uh, show that. Um, okay, so let me tell you a very, very quick do- dream. But it's it's for me, it it's super ex- like. I don't know what to do with it and but maybe you do so okay so <laughs> and it's a funny one so uh one morning i dream of um the flintstones fred fred and, and actually just fred and um how was he uh, Ber- uh 
Is it Bernie? Jeez, Barney, Barney. I Barney, in, yeah, I, right. Barney, yeah. I remember them in yeah. French, but uh, <laughs> so, um, so in the dream they have to save the city. Okay, that's what they're like superheroes, and they have to save the city. And um, they they get in a room where there's a huge screen on the wall, and for some reason. Um, Barney's uh, psychic, and he can project things on the screen. <laughs> and he says, uh, um, actually, Fred says, um, okay, we have to, to find a way to, to save the city. And then they think, and, and he says, oh, what about your, your ex, you know, the cute redhead, you know, and leaves it at that. And he, uh, Barney's like, oh, yeah. So then he projects this image of the cute redhead on the screen and they look at it for a little while. And then Fred says, okay, but we got to stop that. We got to save the city. <laughs> so it was a joke in the dream. Uh -huh. Like, um, but what's crazy to me about it is I, I woke up laughing, you know, because mm -hmm. I, I didn't know the punch. So to me, like, it doesn't really make sense, you know, that, oh, it's just my brain generating this. Because how can I tell myself of a joke that I generate also the punch of the joke, you know? <laughs> so why would it be funny, you know? <laughs> so, well, uh, th this is, you know, this gets to the value of of I, we talked about Freud at the beginning of the conversation, but I really recommend, you know, not dismissing Sigmund Freud and psychoanalysis because this is what it was all about. It was about about uh, the unconscious. What he called you know, the unconscious as this kind of this. It's another. It it feels like you know. Now he envisioned it as this kind of submerged layer of of thinking that we weren't mm -hmm. somehow consciously aware of, which is paradoxical, but. Um, uh, if you think of it as the way I suggest thinking of it as kind of this future self speaking back to the present self um, uh, or this interaction uh, between, you know, versions of ourself at different points in our timeline, um, mm -hmm. you know, we are always going to experience that future self as other. We're going to experience it as coming from, you know, it's somewhere else where, you know, our thoughts in the future don't feel like thoughts we're having now. In fact, this is why, uh, <clears throat> this is why precognitive information is so often interpreted in other ways, like as telepathy or as, uh, synchronicity or as, um, uh, as some sort of broadcast from some, you know, a lot of people, a lot of people nowadays engage with the UFO phenomenon and think that they're, mm -hmm. you know, that, uh, thoughts that seem to come from nowhere are somehow transmitted from, from non-human intelligences and, and so on. And mediums will in interact with, with, you know, entities or intelligences that don't, you know, they'll have thoughts that don't belong to them. So they attribute them yeah. to whatever, um, not to dismiss those kinds of experiences uh, or those interpretations, mm -hmm. but I think a lot of those thoughts that we have that don't feel familiar, um, including that joke telling, you know, part of your, 
subconscious in that dream um, mm-hmm. is is us at different points in our timeline, including us in the future. And mm-hmm. uh, it's uh, th- this is a lot of what my new forthcoming book from nowhere is about is about, uh, yeah. you know, classically anyone who describes inspiration, they will describe ideas coming out of nowhere, out of the blue. Um, mm-hmm. and, uh, and interestingly, there's a, a complete, that maps perfectly onto the way psychics report like remote viewers, uh, Ingo Swan, mm-hmm. for instance, you mentioned earlier, you know, he, you know, he would, you know, describe, you know, engaging with these those thoughts and images that don't feel like i create they don't feel like he created them you know yeah. uh and so he interprets it as kind of like a tv signal from somewhere out in reality um mm-hmm. i interpret uh those kinds of experiences as a connection to his future or he's getting feedback and 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 being told you know, the reality of what was at that site or whatever, but that's a debate in the remote viewing community. But, uh, but nevertheless, there's this way in which we can't, in fact, the the term, there's a term in psychology called source monitoring. Uh, you, it's how we know a thought belongs to us or a memory belongs to us is we can tell, we can sort of place it, (laughs) you know, it's, it, it, you know, I, I have a provenance for that, that, that Mm -hmm. thought, you know, it's, it comes from me, but, but there are kind of a spectrum of, thoughts and experiences that that for some people don't feel like they own them and artists always describe this feeling of channeling ideas from somewhere else someplace else and of course Mm -hmm. since freud you know it's been easy to say well that's the unconscious you know well what does that mean uh but back in the day it was the muses or the the demon uh or or the lord or you know, yeah. gods or whatever, I mean, or spirits, you know, there's all kinds of ways of understanding these ideas that come to us that don't feel like we own them or that may feel mm-hmm. like is telling us a joke. I mean, this is so, so common with, with dreams and Freud wrote a whole book about dreams and humor um, mm-hmm. or about uh, the unconscious and, and jokes and humor, you know, that the, mm-hmm. the unconscious is very playful and it tells brilliant jokes. I mean, dreams, you know, are, are so like just unbelievably witty sometimes. Um, and like, it's like people, this is one thing that kind of dissuades people from even interpreting their dreams. Cause they just can't believe, I can't believe that my brain could have done that. You know, I can't, I believe that my brain could have mm-hmm. come up with this, you know, this incredibly brilliant joke. I'm not that funny in daily life, but my, my dreaming mind <laughs> can, <laughs> you know, just make up the most incredibly brilliant stuff. Well, mm-hmm. uh, I think that, that when we understand that, that our, you know, mind, brain, whatever you want to call it, is four-dimensional. And our whole life is, 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 is construct, you know, our whole experience over the course of our life is contributing to what's going on in our head right now. And some of it we can't recognize as ours because it's not from mm-hmm. our past and it's, it's from our future. And so it feels like it's alien or feels like it's, you know, from nowhere or from some other you know, some other mind or some, uh, someone broadcasting an idea into my head. Um, Mm -hmm. it's because it comes from our future. Um, so that's, uh, my, my new book delves into this a lot, but the, the wit, the wit of, uh, you know, that's one version of, of his, of Freud's title is wit and its relationship to the unconscious, um, is, you know, this was a big interest of, of Freud's. It was, I think, 
And maybe it was his third sort of major book after interpretation of dreams, but, um, okay. Yeah. No dream. You know, look, I, even setting aside the whole question of precognition, engaging mm-hmm. with your dreams is so, so rewarding. I mean, I mm-hmm. kept a detailed dream journal. I did that thing where you're describing, I would spend, I could spend like an hour, you know, if I didn't, have anything else to do like on a weekend i could i could spend an hour typing out um you know, i used a word processor you know typing out the dream in great detail and then interpreting it and stuff like that you can spend you can spend you know a lot of time on it most people don't have that kind of time unfortunately um yeah. but uh it's enormously long before i'd heard of precognition or realized that dreams are precognitive or that my dreams are precognitive, just that engagement with the wit of the unconscious and the brilliant mm-hmm. ideas that it generates is, um, you know, is so rewarding. So, you know, I, I you know, it's, it's something that I always recommend people do. You even forget the psychic part, forget the precognitive part, just write your dreams down or pay attention to your dreams at least. And, mm-hmm. um, and, you know, mine them for ideas and, and use that dreaming brain in your creative work or whatever you're doing. Um, it's, Uh it's so valuable. Clearly I can uh, attest to that. I'm, I've experimented with, uh, even if I don't, uh, write them all down, I've experimented, experimented a lot of, uh, with my dreams and, uh, uh, especially trying to connect them with the waking reality and uh, not to because we're at the end now, so I'm not going to get into it. But uh, have you read um, Ursula Le Guin's um, uh, The Word for for World is Forest? No, I haven't read that one. Okay, so I'm not going to say uh, read it, but read but it. Read it. <laughs> Uh, anyways, because it, it it shakes things around. I know it's a novel, but uh, you know. But anyway, so yeah. just um, yeah. When you you said you you said your next book is about creativity, I almost looked at all the questions I had and all the ideas I had, and I almost thought, you know what? Screw that. We're getting we're getting into creativity. But maybe uh, maybe if next you're up time for we it, can you, do another. Sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When you're when the book is, uh, do you have an idea of when the book is? I'm hoping May, I'm thinking maybe June, May, June, something okay, like that. Cool. I'm hoping. Yeah. Uh-huh. Okay. So, I mean, for sure, I'm up for it, uh, discussing that. Uh, we didn't get into, uh, we didn't get into free will. <laughs> Good. <laughs> Good. I'm happy. Maybe have five minutes I'm happy more. not to go there. <laughs> no. Okay. No problem. Uh, yeah, we didn't get into uh, uh, Zen. I know you have a Zen practice. It's something I, I would have had many questions um, about. So anyway, a lot of stuff I we didn't get to. Um, thank you so much, Eric. Where can people find your work? <laughs> it's uh, All the links are going to be in the show notes, but uh, if you want to you know, direct people to the more, the, the most well, important things. You know, my two books are time loops and precognitive dream work in the long self. Uh, those are available online, wherever you buy your books online. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, and my, I have a blog, which I have not added too much in the last couple of years. It's called the night shirt. Um, but that has, uh, 
you know, links to my old, my blog posts and articles, you know, very link. I've written for years on this stuff and it's all kind of timeless. So I encourage people to go there. Uh, it has links to a lot of my podcast appearances. Um, maybe not the most recent ones, but, uh, and I'm on Twitter, uh, at the night shirt is my handle on Twitter. I don't, uh, tweet much, but I'm sort of present there and I can be reached a direct message there all right so can so people can tell you their dreams a lot of people like find that very annoying for some reason so <laughs> apparently you're not one of those people all right so uh if you want if you don't mind staying with me uh, just uh to wrap up but uh sure. thanks again uh and uh whenever you want to come back uh i might reach out actually especially sure. after the book comes out yeah. sure i'll be happy to <laughs> all right All right. Thanks, Eric. <laughs> so you've made it to the end of this Hopscotch Chronicles podcast episode, and I hope that you've enjoyed it as much as I've enjoyed doing it. And I thank you so much for your attention, and I hope you, uh, you're benefiting in a way or another from this conversation. So if you'd like to follow my work, whether on this podcast or my uh, personal work, you can go to Twitter or X and follow me at Domi underscore Valet, D-O-M-I underscore Valet. Same username for uh, Instagram, if you prefer that platform. You can also go to the official website for the podcast, which is hopscotchchronicles.com. And if you'd like to support the podcast as well as my personal work, you can do so by subscribing to my Patreon. The address is patreon.com slash Dominique Valley, D-O-M-I-N-I-C Valley, V-A-L-L-E-E. There you'll find video and audio versions of the, uh, the episodes without any commercials, as well as special episodes on every Sunday where I take my Sunday afternoon tea with you guys. All right, thanks again for listening, and until next time, keep reaching for the light.